I want to start by reminding you really of where we're at and the overarching point that we're getting at with these messages um, here, here where we're at in Ephesians. We're, we're picking up where we left off just before Easter about the, the portion about wives and their role in marriage. But the idea, and there's an overarching point that we're going to be building out through the rest of this passage uh, next week and then the, the following passages in the weeks to come with parents and children and employers and slaves and masters and employers and employees um, is this, that we were created to be interdependent in order that together our lives might glorify God. I didn't say independent, meaning we don't need one another at all. That's not, we were never created for that. And I didn't say codependent, meaning that we need one another too much or that we find our identity in one another, that my whole, my whole being, my whole self is wrapped up in somebody else. That's not where we were meant to be, but we were created to be interdependent. What that means is that we are created with equal value while having different roles and different functions. We have different gifts and different abilities and different perspectives. And we need those. We need one another for them. We need one another through them. Well, like I said, we took a break last week dealing with this with Easter, and we're going to pick up now, as after having dealt with the role of wives, we're going to pick up now in the role and God's expectation for husbands. And I want to say some things before I get into that. This is a little easier for me to preach, because when I preach to wives, it could sound very self-serving for me as a man to stand here and say, wife, submit to me. And I love to joke with Amy. I, I tease her all the time, and she knows it's a joke. It's only through our our, our, our marriage and our relationship that I'm, I'm able to know that I can, I can go up to her and say, submit woman, and, and really just say that knowing that she knows I'm, I'm playing, but I'm serious really, but I'm, I'm playing. No, really, I mean, one time I did that, we were in a restaurant and somebody overheard me and I realized how I needed to watch it, you know, and she, the, the woman sitting there thought I was, I don't know what she thought. She didn't have a good look on her face though, so it wasn't good. But as, as I do this, it'll be a little easier. Be, I'll be able to be more direct. But I don't, I don't want you husbands to think that I got this all figured out. And I don't want you wives to think that as I talk that, oh, well, Seth's got it figured out. My husband should be like Seth. Now, I hope that you can walk and follow in my example as I follow Christ. But I am a man struggling to figure this out. I am a man working towards this. I was the idiot who put this this passage in my wedding vows and have realized every day since the day we were married, I am a failure. I'm screwing it up constantly and I'm seeing it. In this process, though, in this in this pursuit of loving my wife, Amy, my dear, lovely wife, Amy, as I'm learning to do that as Christ loved the church. man, I am being pressed into Jesus. I'm finding myself dependent. So I don't want you husbands to leave in despair today after I punch you in the stomach. I hope that as I punch you in the stomach that you will fall on your knees before the cross because that's where your hope lies. We sang it just a minute ago. We, we, we talked about it. We, we sang it that He is the King of love. I want you to turn to Him and be loved by Him so that you can then turn and love your wife as He has loved you. The next thing I want to say is that this isn't just for husbands. The reality is this. And, and here's the deal. You're going, to, you're going to read in women's... Wives are going to read in their women's books that I've recommended reading. If you pick them up, you'll hear some of the women say that you were never told or commanded to love your husband the way your husband's commanded to love you. And in a way, that's true. But in a way, it's not true. Because we are all to love one another this way. So if you're not a husband in this room, I know you're not all husbands. Obviously, it's physically impossible for some of you to be husbands. I get that. 
But there is practical application for every person in this room. Because if you think about the context of this passage, where Paul is writing to the church and, and teaching the church how they are to live, if you go back and you think back where we have been in Ephesians 5, he opens it with calling us to imitate God. And he says, walk in love as you have been loved. Christian, not husband, Christian, you are responsible to love others this way. And so some of this today, while it would be pointed directly at husbands, because that's what the passage does, you will hear teaching that is for every one of you who call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. As you hear how he has loved, you will be able to bring that into your life. You are responsible to bring that into your life that then you can turn and share it. So, so hear that. Don't check out if you're not a husband and, and can't ever be a husband. Listen for the Holy Spirit to work and show you how you have been loved by Christ that you can then love as you have been loved. And then finally, let me just say one last thing. As I said to, to the wives, there is no way I can undo in 40, 45, well, it's probably going to take about an hour and a half today, but I, no, I'm not just kidding. I cannot undo all the damage that our fallen flesh and our culture has done in this area. Men, we have abused our roles. All of history has shown us to be abuser of our roles as leaders. We have dominated rather than servant, uh, loved in service. We have uh, commanded rather than humbled ourselves. We have beaten into submission rather than submitting ourselves in great and deep concern for our wives. I can't undo all of that. I can't, I can't deal with all the nuances of, of the culture and the way that, that they have damaged and, and, and overridden and undone our call from God, our high call from God. So I want you, I, I put the, on the same list that I published and put out for the wives, on that list are resources for you. I would encourage you. I would strongly recommend you. I would, as your pastor tell you, you need to go make those resources available. You need to avail yourself of those resources and study them. You need to know what your role, what the expectations of God is on you. You need to know that. Because until we get this figured out, our churches will be full of broken marriages that can't reveal and, and portray the gospel as God intended. We're going to deal with that a little more next week, but please, don't let this next little bit be, oh, now I'm an expert. I don't need any more training. Don't let that happen. I, I, don't, I don't know what else to say. I'll just move on. We'll, we'll jump in. So we're going to get to the text. We're going to hear Paul's words. You've, you've heard them read. And we're going to ask a couple of questions, and that's going to lead to a couple of questions. And, and, and you're, going to, you're going to see it all break out, and you're going to learn, I think, you'll, you'll see freshly and hopefully with some level of conviction, not from me, but from the Holy Spirit, you'll, you'll walk out of here knowing some places you need to work, you need to repent, and that you need to walk in victory. So we're going to look at it. We're going to break the text out. We're going to, we're going to ask, what are husbands called to do? How are they called to do it? And then that's going to lead to a couple other questions. We'll get to those in just a moment. Well, what are husbands called to do? Immediately, the very first phrase you heard in Ephesians 5.25 is, husbands love your wives. Now, we'll stop right there. We're going to deal with that. 
We're gonna, I, I think these words, as Paul wrote these words, I told you I thought that the, the wives submit to your husbands would have been as shocking as anything in that culture because they were called to voluntarily submit. They, were not, they weren't being called to give up their rights because they were taken from them. They were being called to give up their their um, themselves. They were called to submit their own will. They were called to submit under someone else's authority voluntarily to do it because they wanted to, not because they were forced to. Well, I think these words, while those were startling in that culture, I think these words were, I mean, they would stop a man in his tracks, I believe. I believe they were shocking. In fact, we don't hear it closely. We don't, we don't, we don't I don't think we we, we quite get the, the weight of it because we have such a misunderstanding of what love is. See, some of you have heard that and you thought, I'm supposed to feel really good about my wife. But that's not what he's called us to. You see, in, in the Greek, there's four words that Paul could have chosen from that we would have translated as love. The first is eros. In the Greek, that's a, it's an erotic desire. It's probably more closely related with our understanding of lust than it is with love. And as a young man, you know what this, ta- this, this feeling is, and everybody that's been a young man knows what this feeling is, to desire a woman. You know what that is. That's not what Paul used. In fact, that word eros is never used in Scripture. Never. Doesn't, doesn't have a place there. The next word is stergo, and it's, it's a feeling of familial love, kind of the affection like parents have for their children. That's not the word to use. That word is also not used in Scripture. The next word that he could have chosen is phileo or phileo. It's an affection built on common grounds, kind of a brotherly love, kind of a, a peer love. It's, it's, it's the love of good friends. You know, it's the love that, that um, we have amongst one another, just as having acquaintances and having good relationships. Now, this word is used in Scripture. It's used constantly in Scripture over and over to describe the love that we have for one another. But that's not the word Paul chose. The word Paul chose is agape. And I'm sure if you've sat through any sermons about love, you've heard this word. But it has no... It it, it is so contrast. It, it, It stands in such stark contrast to our understanding of love today that I don't even think our word love should be placed there. I really appreciate many places where the where the King James Version translates this. They don't translate it love. They translated it charity. They translated it as a, as a word that we recognize as demonstrating effort, good, beneficial, benevolent effort on the on the uh, part of another person. That's the word Paul chose. And so these Greek men, as they heard this, husbands, agape your wife, I think they would have stopped dead in their tracks and said, whoa, whoa. You mean I can't just have an affection for her? I can't just want her? I can't just appreciate her service? I've got to agape my wife. But before we give this a real solid definition, I want you to see why we're going to go to the definition we're going to go to. So this word was really co-opted by the Christian heritage in history. It was, it was in use outside of the Bible, at least in verb, verb form. But really, Christians are the ones that gave it a noun. They, they took this word and made it a noun. They, they did something kind of like we do with, with mission. I mean, when we take the word mission and talk about mission, we have a different meaning than somebody in the army does when they talk about mission. I mean, when I was in the army and I had a mission, I was going to shoot people, right? 
That's different than what we talk about. That, and so they took this word and they, they did something with it that was radically different than the rest of the culture. They made it a noun. And, and so now because of that, we have a noun and a verb form of that word that just wasn't, it wasn't there before. Well, I want to share with you three verses that the Bible shows us how they co-opted that word, how they tied it to God, and, and, and give us an understanding of where we're at. So first we're going to look at John 3.16. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. For God so agaped, that's the word, for God so loved the world, He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. How do you know God loved the world? He gave His Son. There's effort there. There's an expansion, a, 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 an exertion there. There's a service there. There's a sacrifice there. Romans 5, 8 says, for, but God shows his love for us in that. And that's for God shows his agape for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then there's first John three sixteen. This is my go to verse. I think it's a beautiful, powerful verse, and it really has some practical application. If you were to continue reading the chapter by this, we know agape. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay down our lives for the brothers. See, these three verses, they, they give us a picture that agape or the verb agape, I'm going to say it, agapeo. I'm going to say that's kind of wrong, but anyway, you get the gist. You probably won't remember later, but now you know there's, I'm, I'm, I do that kind of stuff so that you think I'm smart and I study and I deserve to get paid. But anyway, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I hope it helps you. They help us to see that there's more than just an emotion involved, right? These, these words, when, when we look at these verses, we recognize that Jesus or God isn't loving us just simply by feeling good about you. He doesn't look at you and just have affection for you. He does. I don't think it's that this love is devoid of emotion. I, just, I don't think that it's controlled by devotion or, or emotion. And when, when he looks at you, because of Jesus, he smiles. You're approved. You're accepted. You're welcomed into His presence. You have access to the throne room of the Creator of the universe. But that is not what defines His agape for you. What defines His agape love for you is what He's done for you. We know this love because He acted out. He didn't just sit back and say, well, I love them. I hope they find their way here. I love them. I hope they recognize it. I hope they, I hope they, I hope they know how, how happy they make me. I hope they know how good I feel about them. I, I hope I know. I hope they know. No. We know His love because of what He did. Husbands. Husbands, this is the love that you and I are called to. John Stott says, pick, uh, he, he says, agape love as this... John Stott defines agape love as the sacrifice of self in the service of another. And I think that's right. But I don't think it quite goes far enough in light of the Scripture. I would suggest that the Scripture, agape love, as it's given to us, is to sacrifice ourself for the interest of God's good work in another's life. How do we know God loved us? Because he worked for his interest, which is our best interest in our lives. Husbands, this is what you're called to. We are called to love agape style. Sacrifice yourself for the interest of God's good 
work in your wife's life. That's what you're called to. You've been called to go further than just feeling good about her. You've been called to go further than just desiring her and and, and thinking of her romantically. You've been called to go further than just simply thinking that, man, she, she makes me feel good. I love her. You're called to go so much further. That's why I think in our culture today, in the culture that Paul wrote to, this is shocking. Because our cultural perspective, our understanding of love is how I feel. And the problem with that is, is that some days I don't feel that great. My emotions ebb and flow. They're conditional. They're tied to circumstances. But God says, husbands, that's not what you're called to do. You're called to make a willful, absolute decision to always Act in the best interest of your wife. You're not given a choice by God. But you are called on behalf of your wife to choose this. Listen, wives, I need to say something real quick. Because what I'm about to break out into, what I'm, I'm, I'm about to break down how we've been loved by Christ and, I, and how we're to actually practically work this out. You hear this strong call. If you go home and you start telling your husband how he has failed you and not loved you like Christ has loved you, you're undermining this. You see, just like I told your husbands when I spoke on your submission, I said they couldn't go home and say, well, Pastor Seth said you had to submit to me. So do what I say. That that didn't work because it's supposed to be as the Spirit works, as as He changes your life and changes your desires, that you're to willfully choose to submit. Your husband is to willfully choose to sacrifice himself for your best interest. So if you go home saying, hey, you heard it, or if your husband's not in here, go home and say, you need to listen to that sermon because you don't love me like Christ loved the church. You don't love me like I deserve. Well, you might coerce him into sacrificing himself. But let me tell you, that's not love. Let me teach. Let the Holy Spirit convict. And and let me encourage you, wives, to do your part. Submit to your husband. And you pray for God to have his way. That he would be changed and he would learn to love you like Christ has loved you. So how are we going to do that? Well, I've given it away. I've already said it. We're called to love like Christ has loved the church. Well, like, and, and really, he gives us two, two analogies. He says, love like Christ has loved the church. And then he goes a little further. and He says, love like you love yourself, like you love your own body, like you love your own person. So it gives us those two questions. And we're going to work to find out those questions. It's going to take us a little more work to figure out how Christ has loved the church. I mean, if you look at the text, we're not going to be all over the Bible. We're going, to, we're going to look at this text and we're going to see what Christ has done. How did he love the church? Well, first it says, it shows us that he loved us sacrificially. He gave himself up for the church. We know what he did. We, we, we talk about it all the time. We, we build our whole faith on this idea that he died. He gave himself as a sacrifice. Right? But he did more than that. 
You see, his love for the church didn't begin when he got nails in his hands. It didn't begin when they put the crown of thorns on his head. It didn't begin when when he decided and told his disciples that he was going to take on the cross. His love for the church began when he determined that he would come and humble himself and take on a new nature, that he would step out of glory and humble himself to become a man, to act as a servant. You see, Jesus has been sacrificing his nature. He is the king of creation. He is the sovereign ruler of authority. There is no one except God the Father who sits above God the Son, and yet he humbled himself and came to serve, but not be served. He has been sacrificing and giving uh, the example of sacrifice in every action toward us. It didn't start on the cross. It's certainly exemplified in the cross and it's proven in the cross, but it didn't start then. Jesus has been loving the church sacrificially, really, from before the time before the first let there be light was proclaimed, before the foundations of the earth, Jesus was planning to do this. He's been acting sacrificially on behalf of the church since before the creation was set in order. So husbands, husbands, one day, one day you may have to take a bullet for your wife. But if that's the first sacrifice you make for her, you have not loved her. Step out of your delusion. Own it. See, sacrifice begins now. Giving yourself up for her begins now. Not not in a moment of crisis. If you wait till a moment of crisis, I'm certain what you'll do is try to hide behind her. Sacrifice begins now. There are no excuses. None. God didn't give you a choice. He didn't give you a, a, another option. He didn't say, well, you know, I, I, I know, I know how things go. She's not a very good wife. Sorry I stuck you with her. He didn't say that, did he? No, not at all. There's no condition. None. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. And the very first thing we hear is that he died. He sacrificed. Husbands, that's your call. You cannot say you have loved your wife like Christ loved the church if you have not expended effort on your behalf. If you're at work because you're afraid to say no to your boss or that you don't trust that God will provide and you spend all of your time at work without having her in mind, you are not loving your wife like Christ loved the church. Sometimes it is necessary to work long hours. Sometimes it is to, you, you got to make extra money, make sure you pay some bills. Sometimes it's necessary to, to put that out there. But if that is the pattern of your life, you're not loving your wife as Christ loves the church. If you come home and you do nothing but sit on the couch, ladies, keep your elbows to your sides. If you come home and you do nothing but sit on the couch and you don't pick up a vacuum cleaner, a broom, a wash rag, or do a load of laundry... Because that's not your role, because somehow, some way, you've got it in your mind that you're not required to do that. 
You are living by a cultural standard and not a biblical call. You hear it said all the time, well, a wife and a mother's job is never done. 24-7, 365. Let me tell you, husbands, your job is never done. You better be sacrificing. If you're going to fulfill this call, you have got to be sacrificing. Let your wife sit down and you do something. I mean, you think about what we have received because of what Jesus has done with absolutely no effort on our part. You may need to stop on your way home from work. I heard, uh, I think it was Ligon Duncan said this, and I appreciated it. Because one of the things when I was working uh, in, in secular work, and I was, I was, I was um, coming home after a stressful day at work, you know, customers, when you have a, a, a several hundred thousand dollar aircraft project, customers are angry when things aren't going the way they want. That's a lot of money, right? And so there's a lot of pressure. And so there was always this moment. I, I, I would do my best to leave my work at work, and I'd, I'd be driving home, and I'd have a 20-minute 20 minute commute and I'd do what I could, but there was, I, I, there was days that just, it, it never failed. There was days that I'd come in and my stress just wasn't gone and I hadn't, I hadn't left it. And I just wanted to come in and just shut down and go in a, a room and be by myself. And not take into account that my wife had had a stressful day and that there were issues she had dealt with. See, I was concerned about myself. The reality is, husbands, you may need to stop on the way home and decompress a little bit for the good, for the best interest of your wife. But if you go home and you don't do anything and you just expect her to serve you, you're not feeling this call of sacrificial love like Christ sacrificially loved us. If you'd rather play a video game, watch a, a movie, spend time watching sports, or go out in the garage and work on some project, then engage your wife in conversation. You are not loving your wife sacrificially. If you know more about your favorite team than you do about what's going on in your wife's life, husbands, you are failing. We cannot say we've loved our wives until we have felt the expense of energy, Time, money, sacrifice. You cannot say you've loved your wife like Christ loved you if you don't give yourself up. Jesus loved you purposefully. Sacrifice for sacrifice sake is not what we're called to. Well, I sacrificed for my wife. I just gave her everything she wanted. I just didn't ever say no. I didn't I, I didn't want flower bed spread, but you know, I, I'm sacrificing for her. It's not what he called to. It's not, not, not what he said. He gave himself up for her that she might be presented without blemish or spot. That she might be purified. That she might be cleansed by the preaching of the word. See, there's purpose here. There's reason here. There's, there's something so much bigger and deeper than just, I just don't want to have a fight and it's easier for me to give up and give her what she wants. That's really not sacrifice. That's really you just being lazy and not wanting to fill your role. Own it. There is purpose here. Jesus loved us purposefully, and we are called to love one another or love our wives 
purposefully. Husbands, if you're not taking an active role in your wife's spiritual growth, you have not loved her. If you're not leading her in a lifestyle of repentance, if she can't look at your life and see you repenting before God, you're missing it. If you're not leading her into prayer, and I don't necessarily mean that that means that you have set times that you're going to get together and pray. I think it should happen. You should be able to pray together. If, if you go home and you feel awkward about leading your wife into prayer, it's because you've never done it. It's not natural to you. But your wife should see you as someone who is looking to God, calling on God. If you want your wife to submit to you, you better be demonstrating that you are following Him. You've got to demonstrate this. You've got to walk in this way. If you're not leading her into prayer, encouraging her, her to a life of prayer, you're not loving her. If you are not encouraging and bringing conviction to her in and with the Scriptures, you are not loving her with the purpose God has intended you to love her. If you're simply sacrificing to fill your life and house with the things of this world, but not the things of God, you've got the wrong purpose. You might have a purpose, but it's the wrong purpose. You see, he says the love of Christ was intended for the good of the church, the purification of the church, the beauty of the church. And, and you see who's being presented to. It's not being presented. It's, it's, it says it's not being presented to the world so that he could present her to him. So he could present the church to himself. He loved his church so much. He loved his bride so much that he wanted her good. That he wanted her to be able to be in his presence. To enjoy all the benefit of knowing Him. He cared so much about His church that He did for her what was necessary to bring her to that place that she reflected the glory of God. Husbands, this is your call. Own it. Quit abdicating responsibility. Quit handing it off. Jesus loved the church actively. Now, there's no doubt that Jesus loved the church. He showed it. He proved it. We've seen the verses. We know what He's done. We believe in it. We trust in it for our own salvation. Sometimes we lose sight of it, I think. Sometimes we misplace it and we, we, we let it slide out of our, our sight. But all we have to do, again, is look at what He's done. Husbands, if your wife can't see your love and point to active examples of your love, and I'm not talking about giving roses. Remember, this isn't romantic. This isn't, certainly it could be part of it. I'm not talking about just those romantic gestures. I'm talking about the active, sacrificial, purposeful love. If she can't see that and point to examples of it, you have not loved her like Christ loved the church. This entails giving her what she needs not what she wants. That, that even goes further, though. How do you know what she needs? 
You've got to be so sacrificial that you're giving up the other stuff in your life that you can get involved in hers and see where she's at. How did, how did Jesus know what you needed? How did he know what to do for you? Well, I asked this question at community group the other night, and they're like, well, he's Jesus. It's like, yeah, that makes it easy, doesn't it? I wish I was Jesus. He knows the hearts of men. But the reality is he knows what we need because he knows the hearts of men. He has intimate, intentional knowledge about what we need. Husbands, you've got to actively get involved in your wife's life, in her interests. You've got to, you've got to actively involve yourself in what's going on with her. So that you know when it's right to say no and when it's right to say yes. And when you, you know when it's right to push towards uh, a deeper sanctification and, and a deeper commitment. And you know when it's time to pull back and, and not push. You've got to know it. You've got to do it. This is the call. Jesus loved us sacrificially, purposefully, actively. He loved us proactively. You know, I, I, that's the same thing. Well, no, not really. It's not. Jesus' love was proven on the cross, but it began way before. It began way before with full knowledge of how rebellious and how spiteful and how, how, um, how, how we would treat Him. He knew that He was going to a cross. He knew that He was going to have to sacrifice. He knew that it was going to be hard work. He knew that we wouldn't love Him back. But He didn't wait for us to love Him, did He? He loved us. In spite of who we are and what we would do. Husbands, if you're not being intentional in spite of how your wife treats you, you have not loved her. Remember, there's no condition on this. There's no exceptions to the rule. Paul's giving us a general, big principle for all husbands to follow. And he doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands. And when, when the wife submits to her husband, then husband, once she gets it right, you start loving her. The reality is, just like I told your wives, the reality is she might not be submitting to you. Well, it doesn't make it right. She might not be submitting to you because you're not loving her. Don't expect her to do her part until you're doing your part. Own it. Be the husband God called you to be. He loved constantly. This is not something Jesus did once. It wasn't something that this was something he was always doing. He was always about his father's work. He was always striving to see his father glorified and to see that happen. He was going to have to love the church, love us always. The beauty of it is he didn't just he, he loved us from before the foundation of the time. He loved us as he came and he loves us today. He loves us in the fact that he's gone to prepare a place for us and he's coming back to get us. He loves us and that he didn't leave us alone, but he sent his spirit to indwell us. He loves us still sacrificially, purposefully, actively, proactively, always, every day. He loves us. The church, husbands, if you are not striving for this 24, 7, 365, you are not loving your wife. Own it. That's how Christ loved us. Let me deal real quickly. We'll, we'll move through this pretty fast. How do we love ourselves? This is the second analogy Paul gives. He says, love her like Christ loved the church. Love her like you love yourself. Well, how do you take care of yourself? 
Some of us are, are more disciplined about our physical fitness, but there's none of us that miss meals and, and are starving to death. There's none of us that, that don't have the things we want. When we want entertainment, we make a way to be entertained. When we want relaxation, we make a way for relaxation. When we want to eat, we make a way to eat. When we want ourselves to, to, to be served in some way, we find a way to make it happen. We love ourselves pretty well, don't we? Paul says, just like you've loved yourself, you should be loving your wife. Husbands, if you've not served your wife's best best interests like you serve your own interests, you're not loving her. I want to to share with you something. I, I read this to the wives. But I was humbled and it was beautiful. And I think the reality is, is that it speaks to husbands as well. I think, and, and I could be wrong here, but I think the, the, the desire of every believing male, every faithful follower of Jesus Christ is to at some point get to heaven and be accepted in, not on your own merit, but on the grace of God provided through the sacrifice of His Son. I think that's a desire to be welcomed in, to be accepted and approved, Right? Well, I'm learning that there's something maybe more important. And it was taught by a woman. When I read Disciplines of a Godly Woman to prepare to, to speak to wives about this, and I was humbled. And I was broken. Broken. And it's changing my perspective and the way I even think and do things in my own, in my own marriage. But she's sharing about her struggle to understand how to fulfill her role in marriage. And some of you will remember this. But for those of you that weren't here, I need to read it. During the time that my husband and I worked to establish a biblical view of success, and that's success in ministry, success in marriage, I sought to answer for myself, what is my goal as a wife? I'm going to ask you to ask this question, what is your goal as a husband? What I decided that day, 25 years ago, remains the same today. One day, I want to hear God say to insert your wife's name. Amy. I want to hear my God say to my wife, Amy, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter your enter the joy of your master. And then in my mind, I've changed the following sentence to say this as Amy's loving servant leader, given that role by God in this life, those words will be my greatest joy. That is humbling. You see, because in my life, I know my deepest and greatest need is to be redeemed and reconciled to my God and Creator. For me to love my, life, my, love my wife well, I must see that that need is met in her life. And if I'm not, I'm not loving her like myself and I am not loving her like Christ loved the church. And I told you, I told you I'm a failure. And she can tell you, I'm a failure. I screw it up. And so I stand here calling you to very direct direct commands. And I stand here commanding you to do things and, and, and standing in your face and pushing on you. 
Because men, we have failed. But our hope is not in our merit. Our hope is in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has loved us this way first. Brothers, we can do this. We can serve our wives like Christ served or loved the church. We can love them like we love ourselves. We can love our wives with agape style love. But we are going to have to make Jesus' glory our first priority. It will never happen if you won't die to yourself first and live for His joy or His glory. You will never know the joy of sacrificing yourself for your wife if you don't first find joy in submitting before your Savior. Brothers, we can do this. He didn't give us a command that's impossible to complete. He is enabling us and empowering us by His powerful, uh, uh, sacrificial, purposeful, active, proactive, constant love to love just like He loved us. He's doing it. We've got to make this our priority. And when we do, when we do, something naturally takes over, something naturally begins to happen. You will love your wife like you've been loved. You will love your wife like you love yourself. No magic. No 12-step program to get there. One easy step. Submit yourself to your Savior. If you're not a husband here today, all of those words apply to you. They just may apply slightly differently. The reality is you are all called to love one another this way. Let's pray. Father, you're good.